Are you ready? Are you ready for September? 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 Because it's coming. Because it's coming. Because it's coming. Welcome to the next installment of the School of September series, brought to you by the Western Huntsman Podcast, in conjunction and partnership with Phelps Game Calls and Spree Extreme Mountain Gear. Elk Hunting 201. In session. Ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen, gentlemen. All right, all right. Hey, guys, this is Jim Huntsman coming at you from the Broken Time Studio right here in Clark Fork, Idaho. Welcome to this installment of the School of September. Brought to you by the Western Huntsman Podcast. Glad you guys are here. I got a great episode lined up for you today. We're going to be talking about some elk strategy, and we are going to be talking about shot IQ and how to become a better and more proficient shooter, whether we're talking, you know, archery or rifle. So this is a this is a great episode. I'll tell you about it here in just a little bit. But one thing I need to do real quick because I totally forgot last week. I promised that I was going to announce the winner for our Phelps Game Calls. Uh, contest we were doing and so for those of you that don't know what we were doing is when you go on the Phelps Game Calls website and you make an order and you're kind of filling out all your information hey here's your name uh, and then it says optional company name and uh, what we were doing is making up funny ridiculous dumb um, humorous whatever uh, company names and having with whatever order. So it didn't matter if you were buying just a, you know, one read or you were buying a whole Phelps setup package or whatever. Uh, the point was you were just supposed to make up a name and then snap a picture when it arrived at your house, uh, of what the company name was. And we got some doozers, man. We got some really funny ones. Uh, I, I had a lot of fun with it. In fact, what I did is it it was so much fun and I had such good entries and so much response that I couldn't like make a decision just on based on the name alone because there was a bunch of good ones. So I put it in my randomizer and it that selected the winner for me. So it was like a drawing. So everybody had the same odds uh, with the exception of some people made multiple orders and with with multiple different fake company names <laughs> and sent them in. They actually were in there a little bit more often. So uh, they had like two or three drawings, depending on how many times they, they made that purchase. So anyway, the point being is I did pick out a winner and um, we are in good shape here. I'm going to announce it right now because, uh, again, last week. I was recording and getting ready to do the announcement and all this stuff. I got super busy because we uh, just moved out to bare land here, and it is just one thing after another, and I totally forgot to announce a winner. So I apologize about that, guys. The winner for the Phelps Game Calls package is Victor Gonzalez. And the name that, again, which played no effect on who won or not, this was just a random drawing, uh, but it's pretty good. 
his comp- his fake company name is Charlie Smith's Elk Hunting Tutor. <laughs> and so we had uh, we had a bunch of really good ones, guys. Uh, Bob Lagasa, that uh, that was naughty, sir. If you're listening, uh, that name you sent in, I got uh, I, I choked on my coffee when I saw that one. Um, there was a lot of really good ones. Nate Davenport sent in a couple of really good ones. Um, and just, I appreciate everybody for participating. That was a lot of fun. Uh, it helped us cause you guys were using the promo code. So, um, that shows Phelps game calls that, uh, you know, it means something to be a sponsor on this show. So we appreciate that. And it helped Phelps game calls cause they were able to sell some more calls and it helped you guys because whether you won or not, you got some really good calls out of the deal, uh, at a discounted price. So Victor Gonzalez, you, my friend are the winner of this, uh, this competition in this contest so go ahead and send me an email jim at the western huntsman.com that is jim at the western huntsman.com send me your email or send me send me an email with your address uh and i will get a phelps game call package sent out to you uh i also if you have a specific bugle tube on the website that you like and you want over another one because they, they have multiple options uh put that in your email as well so i'm going to send you a bugle tube and some other stuff um, so congratulations, Victor. I appreciate you uh, participating. That was a lot of fun. Uh, love seeing everybody's responses and all the reactions we got when we'd post them on social media. <laughs> We're going to do something like that again in the future. So cool. Guys, this episode for the School of September for July of 2021, I've got Joel Turner. Joel Turner is um, he is a SWAT team member. He's a he's in law enforcement. He's a cop. He's a trainer. He's a firearms instructor. Uh, this guy knows his stuff. He's an elk slayer. All the all the things that we talk about are are we're we're kind of focusing in on this episode on two key areas a, a strategy that he uses that is very very effective to call in a bull and um, also shot placement and how to become a better shot um, archer uh, or rifle this 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 stuff applies to both archery and and rifle equipment so it doesn't matter so without further ado let's get into it with Joel Turner. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the July 2021 installment of the School of September. Uh, this month, I have got somebody I've been really looking forward to having on the show, and I've been uh, wanting to get you on, Joel, for a long time. Uh, so Joel Turner with Shot IQ is on the line this year. And how you Good doing, morning. man? I'm awesome. I did... Uh... I did my workout already this morning, so it's I may be coughing and hacking, but uh, I'm, I'm still alive, so I'm good to go. What kind of workouts are we talking about? Well, I've got a uh, I got a SWAT PT test coming up here in a few days. So I we do this PT test where you run, you do an 800 meter run, and then you have to do five sets of three pull ups, six push ups nine sit-ups and 12 box jumps. So you do five sets of that and then you got another 800 meter run and that has to be done in 16 minutes. That's awesome, man. Yeah, so so I tell us a little bit about that, dude. You're, you're in law enforcement mm-hmm. and uh, give us, give us kind of a snapshot of who you are and what you do for a living. Well, I've, I've, 
<clears throat> been a cop for the last 20 years. 18 of that 20, I've been on the SWAT team. Uh, most of my role has been sniper team leader in that. And I just recently, uh, I guess you can call it a promotion to team leader. So I'm running things on the ground there. And, and uh, yeah, so that's, and I'm a sergeant with the department that I work for. So it's, uh, it's been an interesting 20 years, that's for sure. But it's <clears throat> definitely yeah. probably time to be getting out of that because <laughs> things are changing for toward the land of crazy. So that's for sure. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not like the best time uh, no, to not. be in law enforcement. But, uh, you know, um, you're not the first you're not the first cop we've had on the show. And sure. uh, as, as I tell everybody here at the Western Huntsman, we support you guys and, and we appreciate what you, what you do. And uh, it's a dangerous job. It's a thankless job a lot of the times. Um, and how cool is that? You're on the SWAT team, dude. What, <laughs> like how, what is that like? You guys just get called out randomly and you go, you go yeah. report to a truck and go out. Yeah. So we'll, you know, when the cops call nine one one, it's the SWAT team shows up and then we deal with business. You know, we've got lots of uh, different equipment than normal patrol would have and vehicles and weaponry and, and tactics and gas and flashbang grenades and all kinds of cool stuff. But it's been a wild ride for the last 18 years on that team. So we've done a lot of, a lot of crazy stuff that you wouldn't believe. <laughs> so, Well, like in your, so you're in like Eatonville, Washington, um, more of a rural area. Uh, yeah, that's, is, where, that's just where I live. It's not where I work, but I work, oh, in, a, gotcha. I work, in, a, I work in a city that's, it's close, but it's the team that I'm on covers the capital and, and a couple different counties there. So it's, it's a fairly big area and, and we've, we've had to do some interesting stuff for sure. Cool, man. I was just in your neck of the woods not very long ago. We took the kids to that great wolf lodge place. Oh geez. Yeah. That's, that's in my area where I, where I work. So yeah. Yeah. It was kind of a shit show there. Yeah, right. <laughs> the place is chaotic, man. You should have called me. I'd have told you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see. I want to talk a little bit background-wise, like with uh, with your hunting. Uh, mm-hmm. I know you've been involved with the Elk Collective, um, and and you do a lot of seminars, and uh, you're just a slayer of elk, man. Give us give us a little snapshot of your hunting background. Well, I, I wasn't a slayer of elk for a long time. I started, I started bow hunting elk when I was 14 years old, and it wasn't until I was 27 did I kill my first bull. Wow. So 13 years of not having success. And I was I was calling bulls in. I was shooting at bulls. I just could not control myself at the moment of truth. And it just got bad, you know. And it wasn't until I became a cop that I finally – buckled down and found enough determination to start to change things for the better as far as shot control goes. But <clears throat> so I've, I've won the world elk calling championships twice, but it was years ago back in 08 and 2010. And, uh, I have since learned a lot as far as elk and elk calling and how to humanize your elk calling. And that's, that's where I found most of my success is in actually taking the elk element out of it which sounds crazy but plugging in the human element as far as if it wouldn't call in a human in a in a primal state like with no inhibitions uh, if it wouldn't call in a human it wouldn't call in an elk so 
you know, humanizing your elk calling and just looking at it like the bar scene, right? It's that's all the elk woods are is a bar scene with a bunch of mammals running around with no inhibitions, no societal limits. And that's elk calling in its purest form. So I did not learn how to call elk in. I learned the sounds from the elk, but I did Mm -hmm. not learn how to call elk in from the elk. I learned that by watching bar fights. So really, that's a different approach to it. Dude, we're going to have a great conversation. I I love this. I want to talk about this humanizing your elk calling. Mm -hmm. Um, because I, and I, I think a lot of people are like this and it, it's a question that I get a lot. It, you know, how good of an elk caller do I need to be? How, what kind of elk sounds do I need to know? Absolutely. And, and, you know, which ones are not so important and kind of my, my answer is always, you know, you, you really don't have to be a, a great elk caller to call in an elk. Mm-hmm. It's, it's about emotion and, sure. and being able to communicate how that elk is feeling through emotion, through, through, through the sound, I think mm-hmm. is super effective, but you're kind of taking it to mm-hmm. a whole other level here. Um, well, I, I like to call it instinctive elk calling. I'm never calling to an elk's attitude. Mm-hmm. I'm only calling to their instinct. And that's where the bar fight comes in, right? Because bar fights are almost always, I'd say 95% of the time over, an, a male speaking to another male's female. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. that's how, that's how bar fights start. Right. But if you look at it in the elk world, a lot of people will, they'll step up to the doorway of the bar. Right. And if I told you, I said, Jim, you got, uh, you've got 30 seconds to go in that bar and get punched in the face by another male, but you can't touch anybody. How would you do it? You got 30 seconds ready to go. Yeah, and a lot yeah. of people, they, they talk about going in and challenging uh, another man or whatever. And I'm like, well, if you challenge it, if you walk into the bar and you pick some dude and you're like, you walk up to him and you say derogatory things to him or whatever, it depends on that male's attitude at that time, whether or not you're going to get in a fight. But if you go into that bar and you've picked the first female that's definitely with another male, and you speak only to that female, not to the male at all. You speak only to the female. Now you deal with his instincts because she might be interested mm-hmm. in you, right? And the cows mm-hmm. choose the bulls in elk biology. So, you know, so she might be interested. So he now has no option but to remove you from the bar, right? So, Instead of going into and getting close to a herd and challenging the bull with a challenge bugle, that will call some bulls in, right? Bulls that are of the right attitude. But if you go in and you deal with their instinct and you talk only to the cows, which is basically a bugle with no chuckles, because chuckles is a bull-to-bull communication. So if you slip in tight on a herd of a herd bull with his cows and you speak only to the cows by doing a short raspy bugle with no chuckles, he has no option but to remove you from the bar. Right. Hmm. And it just, it enrages that male. And so it enrages that bull. I mean, it's like they come in in a trance. It's amazing how they come in. They don't run in. They just, they display the entire way. A lot of times they'll rake a tree um, do whatever you think about that in terms of human behavior. If you've got one dude standing on one side of the parking lot and another guy with his wife standing at the other side of the parking lot and 
this dude starts yelling at the other guy's wife, well, this guy, what's the first thing he's going to do? He's going to yell back, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he that's that bull bugling back. He was probably a challenge bugle. It's probably going to be big, raspy, nasty with a bunch of chuckle chain on the end of it. So, but then if you keep continue to speak to her, here he comes across the parking lot. And the cool thing about using this bull calling cow's bugle is there's no hang up spot. There's I no mean, what I, spot? There's no hang up spot. The, the oh, bulls gotcha. don't hang up, right? Like if you're calf calling a bull in, he's only going to come as far as he could should be able to see that calf, right? Uh huh. But if you do the bull calling cow's bugle, they come all the way. I mean, it's it's amazing. They come right up to you to kill you, basically. And, I want to. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I cut you off. Well, it's just, you know, I've had I've had human males walk past me in when I'm standing there in full uniform and walk within feet of me to get to another male that was speaking inappropriately to their female. There's no hang up spot. It it completely enrages the bull. And it's it's amazing how it, how it works. So. See, this is one of my. This is what I love about doing podcasts, man. Is is we have different perspectives from, you know, you you can relate this and see this through the through the lens of being in law enforcement and human mm-hmm. nature, and then translate that to the elk woods. And just for clarification, uh, when we're talking about um, like humanizing your elk calling, mm-hmm. uh, I know you are out in some big ass Roosevelt country, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right. How does this relate or translate to Rockies? Exactly the same. It does. I mean, I I okay. hunt all over the West, so it it in fact Roosevelts and Cascade Roosevelts are way easier in my opinion to call in than than Rocky bulls. But I mean, I've I normally don't hunt around here in Washington. I usually hunt other states. So okay. So with with that said, I I want to talk about um. Let's, because on a lot of these episodes, we've covered, okay, how are we going to find elk? How are we going to locate elk? How are we going to close the distance? How are we going to do all this? Let's mm-hmm. say we're out there and we have located a bull. Mm-hmm. We know the bull, whether through vocalization or visually, we, we know there's a bull within, let's say, 500 yards or so. Mm-hmm. He's got some cows. And yeah. can you walk us through what you do at that point? And in this, from the sense of humanizing the, the calling and, mm-hmm. and we're in some dark timber mm-hmm. or whatever, um, mm-hmm. take us from there. You're, you're within 500 yards, you know, a bull's there, um, mm-hmm. and, and you're going to humanize this calling sequence or, or whatever. And I don't know, mm-hmm. I keep, <laughs> I told you I'm recording in my hunting trailer here mm-hmm. and I, mm-hmm. I'm my hand gestures. I'm not used to where my mic stand is. So yeah. I keep slamming into it. So sorry about the noises, but anyways, uh, take us from there. Does that make sense how I ask that? Oh yeah, absolutely. So what I will do is, so I've got a bull 500 yards away. He's down in a Canyon. He's somewhere. I don't exactly know where he's at, but I, I did a location bugle. Now I don't do location bugles after daylight because elk don't normally do that. So okay. if I located him with a location bugle, uh, very high frequency, no chuckles on it, right? So I'm just telling him where I'm at so that he tells me where he's at. Because that's just bulls checking on one another and actually warning one another to keep, you know, you stay out of my canyon, I'll stay out of yours type of thing. But they don't do that after daylight normally. Okay. So 
after daylight, you're listening to roundup bugles and, and other things, but you're not listening to uh, location type bugles. So we've located this bull. He's down in the canyon. Our next job is to figure out if he's got cows or not. Now, you told me that he does have cows. Maybe we saw that. Maybe we heard that through vocalizations. Maybe we heard some glunking. Maybe we heard some tending bugles. Maybe we heard some cows mewing, whatever it may be. We know this bull's got cows. Mm-hmm. So my next job is just to get closer, right? I don't need to make any more noise. I just get closer. And then when I need to relocate this bull, humanizing this elk calling, what is the sound that would clear any room, right, in the human world? If there was a dude out there yelling in the parking lot and you're in an office building, everybody's going to look out the window, but they're going to be very suspicious. What's this crazy guy doing, right? Same thing yeah. if you had built female that was screaming outside of an office building, you're not going to empty the building this way. But if there was a screaming baby in the parking lot, the building would clear, right? Mm-hmm. So humanizing this elk calling, when I need to relocate this bull, always, I don't, I don't make in the woods ever. I never make mature cow sounds anymore because cows hate other cows. When is the last and time? get out of there. When, yeah, when's the last time a bunch of human females got together and talked nicely about another female that wants to procreate with their man that they've chosen? Yeah. That doesn't yeah, happen. Exactly. Right? So you have to keep – yeah, got to keep the biology out of it, right? So calf sounds to relocate, and that, that bull's going to bugle back to you. He's going to do that short, raspy, no-chuckles bugle back to you because he's trying to call you into the herd. Well, you've just relocated him now. So, and if you know that he's got cows, my next job is to simply hunt the cows. So all I'm trying to do is get within 100 yards of a cow. I don't care if it's the whole herd. I don't care if it's a straggler that's off to the side, feeding off to the side. It doesn't matter. I'm just trying to get within 100 yards of one of the cows. If you can get closer, get closer, but don't blow it. And then I get everything set, arrows knocked, feeder set. Everything's ready to go, and then I'll hit him with the bull calling cow's bugle. It's literally that simple. Usually I've called in 48 herd bulls in the last seven years with this one sound. And you Do you have your call on you? Um, I could go get one. I mean, either way, no, no big deal. Yeah, I mean, any, most of – all you need to do is watch anything on Instagram or YouTube or whatever – and get video footage of a bull that is within his cows, and you will not hear him chuckling. The mm-hmm. only reason a bull chuckles is to talk to another bull. So when he's amongst his cows, you hear this short, raspy, no-chuckles bugle. He's talking directly to his cows. So when I slide in on these bulls, or the cows, I hit him with that bull calling cow's bugle. I mean, people call it different things. They call it a herding bugle. They call it an advertising bugle. I don't care what you call it. It's short. It's raspy. It's got no chuckles. That's the key. Okay. Because as soon as you chuckle, you're talking to the bull. Now you're dealing with his attitude. If you don't chuckle, you're only talking to the cows and you're dealing with his instinct. Right? Huh. Okay. I slide in on these cows, hit them with the bull, calling cows bugle, and I shoot them. I mean, they. And you just you just sit and wait after that. You you hit that you hit that bull calling cow. He's coming right to you. You don't need to set up hang up spots or any of that stuff. 
he's coming right to you. Okay. So I'm, you have to be careful because a lot of times the shot's going to be frontal. If you don't like frontal or maybe you're shooting a stick bow and you couldn't get your bow drawn because you can't hold it very long, uh-huh. what I do is I – and I shoot them with a long bow or recurve. So I let them come in tight. And, I mean, they're 5, 10 yards from me staring me down. And eventually they're going to see you. And I just keep my face behind my limb. And eventually they're going to see you. Something's going to happen. Their body language will change. Their head will raise slightly. And you'll see their eyes kind of open a little bit more. They're going to whirl. You got to let them whirl. So as soon as they whirl and they go completely away from you, as soon as they whirl and those eyes are hidden, remember they've got 270-degree vision. Mm-hmm. As soon as those eyes are hidden, that's when I draw my bow back. And I don't get all panicky about it. Just I just draw my bow back at that point, and then I hit him with a yo, right? I hit him with a like a bark, but a yo, not with a call, but with my voice. So I'm not worried about you know cotton mouth and everything else. I yeah. hit him with that yo, and they stop. And the cool thing about bull elk is their necks are swollen up, and they can't look over their hind end like a cow elk can. So a bull, when True. he turns to look at you, he has to quarter away from you. Huh. And that, and you're already at full draw. That that sequence there now starts your shot process. It doesn't end your shot process. When that shot comes to fruition, that's when we start making decisions to remain conscious in our shot. I love this, man. So, okay. I'm going to try this this year and yeah. I'm, I'm pretty stoked, man. I mean, September is what a month away. Yep. So, um, we're in good shape. We're in really good shape. I, I want mm-hmm. to not, not necessarily switch gears, but let's, I want to talk about, um, something you just said in, in shot IQ. And can you tell us what shot IQ is? Shot IQ is my company that I basically was born from necessity because I was not a good shot and I was missing a lot in the archery world and it just killed me because archery was my life. I mean, I shot and shot and shot and I wasn't getting better. I was actually getting worse. Uh, target panic, read everything, watched everything about target panic and just nothing seemed to work. And that was the problem is I was expecting something to work for me. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's how a lot of people take instructions. They, they hope that something's going to work for them, a set of instructions going to work for them, right? But what they have to realize is, and it it wasn't until I realized what the core problem in shooting with the human mind, it wasn't until I realized this problem that I was able to, to use this different approach. The core problem in shooting is this. Your mind will not allow you to cause your body impact as a surprise. Right, Your mind will not allow you to cause your body impact as a surprise. If it can time the explosion of the bow going off or the rifle going off, it will time that explosion. And what it does is it links pre-ignition movements, right? The flinch, if you will. Right, You've experienced that. So it it links pre-ignition movements to your trigger motor program. So when people punch the trigger on their bow – not only are they punching the trigger, they're also there's other muscle contractions that are happening to keep them safe, right? Yeah. And those pre-ignition movements are what deviate your point of impact. So there's a very it's very unnatural for the human mind to actually control 
a movement that causes an explosion. It's completely unnatural. So you have to learn. So shot IQ is basically I teach the, def the conscious defiance of human nature. I teach you how to consciously override your central nervous system at the moment of truth so that you can control your shot on basically the shot of a lifetime, right? Yeah. So yeah. And it wasn't until I became a cop that I actually dug down deep enough into my determination well and said, okay, I'm doing it this way no matter what because it scared the hell out of me that I was not very successful in bow hunting and shooting in general, but I was now a cop mm. and I didn't have that option of missing anymore. And sure. it was, it wasn't until I did not have enough determination until that point. And then, you know, two years into my cop work, I became a sniper on a SWAT team still in the back of my mind, not knowing how it was going to go. How was I going to be able to control myself in a high-stress shooting event, having to, you know, use lethal force on a hostage taker or whatever it may be, right? Mm -hmm. So that's when I went, okay, I got to figure this out. Well, at that same time, two years into my law enforcement career, I became a firearms instructor because I started to be able to figure out my own control, but I had to be able to relay that control to somebody else. How could I get a cop? that are notoriously bad shots, right? Yeah. How could I get a cop to concentrate on a trigger press when it's the only thing that would save their life, the life of another, or stop that fight? And that was my challenge. And so I became a firearms instructor. I became a firearms instructor at the academy where, and the academy afforded, the op afforded me the opportunity to use recruits for experiments, right? How am yeah. I going to get recruit this the the most nervous one in the class that's yanking the trigger so bad that the bullets are hitting the floor and i want to i want to clarify with that um joel for for people listening i i think and correct me if i'm wrong but a lot of what you're referring to is everybody's been behind a rifle and they're about to pull the trigger on a target mm -hmm. and it's right. like they flinch right before the trigger pulls and it moves yeah. your side alignment and everything out of whack. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and so I'm just trying to simplify it. So uh, this is a really important topic because I think that every hunter experiences this uh, seasoned oh, yeah. or brand new. It is, <clears throat> it is a natural reaction uh, to, to kind of, I'll give you a great example. I was when when I was in the Marines and I was in boot camp. Mm -hmm. uh, you know they train every every Marine to be a rifleman, right? Mm -hmm. And and you would think that somebody that grew up hunting uh, mm -hmm. and behind a thirty out six would be you know one of the better shots in boot camp, but it it wasn't. It was the people that had never touched mm -hmm. a rifle in their life mm -hmm. ended up scoring the highest. And what what was happening is for for like me, I was used to shooting a thirty out six that would kick pretty bad. Mm -hmm. And, 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 you know, I, I did exactly what you're talking about. I would, there would be this, like this, uh, non conscious flinch right before I pulled mm -hmm. the trigger. Well, we were shooting M 16 AR, uh, you know, that eight Jesus yeah. M 16, a two service rifles, right. Right. <laughs> spring loaded action rifles. So there's yep. no kick. And, mm -hmm. and so it was this whole new chain of events that would happen when you pulled the trigger. Um, and so I struggled with that initially and, and, and everybody else that had experience with firearms prior mm -hmm. to coming into the Marines 
they had the same problem. So the point is, this is a, this is a natural reaction. So, um, that is what we are talking about here. And, and this is, this is, I'm excited to talk about this topic. Okay. You had, what you did, what you did in your early service days and, and throughout your life when you were hunting is you were going there. I mean, there's science behind all this stuff. So that's what shot IQ is. I talk about the science behind it. I don't talk about my opinion, right? I have gotten this down to the point where it's not Joel Turner's opinion on how to control your mind. This is the actual tangible way to concentrate, right? I mean, because if you ask people the question, how do you concentrate? Nobody can give me an answer, right? Even though Mm -hmm. they may be good at it and they've told other people to concentrate, they can't tell me how to do it, right? So basically what you did in your early days of hunting and in your early service days is you were practicing your own failure. Every time you shot that rifle and you punched the trigger just a little bit, right? And you know you did it. You actually oh, absolutely. practiced your own failure at a moment of truth. And that's what scared the crap out of me, right? Because mm-hmm. I didn't know. Now I know exactly how I'm going to control my shot every time for the rest of my life, no matter what. No matter where I go, who's watching, it doesn't matter, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what most people do. And it's funny because I, I replied to a – there was a post the other day on Instagram. And and uh, I replied about how much trigger punching was going on in this video because it was it was a, like five or six different archers that were, you know, one, one video clip after another. And they're all just punching the crap out of the trigger. And, <laughs> and I'm like – please stop practicing your own failure. And, and, you know, there was some offense taken to that. And, and, uh, but I mean, if I didn't, if I didn't word it like that, right. Like Uh if I didn't word it like that and maybe get these people pissed off just a little bit, they're never going to change because their determination level is obviously not high enough. Mm -hmm. So if, you know, whatever it may be, like if you come to one of my clinics the first thing you do is you shoot by yourself in front of it, the whole crowd. And you've got me there ragging on you the whole time, right? And if you have a weak system, I will break you, right? And you'll get up there and you'll punch the trigger and you'll practice your own failure once again. But by the four hours later or three hours later, no matter what I do to you, if you're in front of the crowd, if I'm tapping on your head, if I, whatever it may be, it makes you stronger because now you know how to use stress to make you stronger. You know how to use that screaming bull elk in front of you at 10 yards. You know how to allow that bull to make you stronger. And it is a very powerful feeling when you actually gain control of this. If you're anything like me, hunting is a year-round thing for you, and we're always thinking about how to make our next upcoming season a little bit better, and one way to do that is with gear. And you guys know I'm not a big gear junkie, but I do have some important gear items that I'm always a huge fan of, and they're right here available on this show. Let's talk about Scree gear. Scree is my go-to camo. Scree is high-performance hunting attire and gear, scientifically tested camo patterns, and all backed by a great company, and I wouldn't recommend it to you if I didn't truly believe in the Scree product. They've got a complete layering system for all terrain and conditions, 
gear designed to adapt to the weather. It's rugged gear. It's got a lifetime warranty, VIP sizing and exchange program. You can't go wrong with Scree. Get the best out there without breaking the bank, and to make it even better, use promo code the Western Huntsman for 15% off and free shipping. Hell of a deal. Check it out at ScreeGear.com. Next on the list is my oldest and fondest sponsor of the show is Phelps Game Calls. One thing I love about companies like Phelps Game Calls is the American success story that came out of it. And Phelps started in Jason Phelps' garage years ago, and it's now one of the premier hunting call companies on the market. And I wouldn't point you in that direction if I didn't feel like they were the best calls available. Jump on phelpsgamecalls.com. When you find a call you like, use promo code HUNTSMAN10 for 10% off. I promise you, you will not regret it. Hoffman Boots. Hoffman Boots is a go-to uh, boot company I've been using for years and years and years. And the cool thing about it is I'm only on my second pair of Hoffman Explorers. I put lots of miles on my Hoffman Explorers. They're a great boot. They're not going to cost you a small fortune to get. And they have all the same guarantees and warranties that every other company out there has. If you want to be confident, guys, do not skimp on boots. Go to HoffmanBoots.com get you a pair of, for for me, I like the 8-inch Explorers, but they also have the 6-inch. They have all sorts of different options. Check it out at hoppinboots.com and use promo code HUNTSMAN10, all caps lock, for 10% off. And last but not least is Tacticam. Are you interested in filming your hunt? And are you interested in helping with conservation efforts throughout the uh, North American continent? Well, then I got a deal for you. Tacticam is a point of view type kind of camera that records in 4G. They also have other products like the film through scope, the FTS, and you attach that to your rifle scope and you can film your shot right there. And they have the mounts for your shoulder, for your head. They get, You can mount it to your bow. You can mount it to wherever and whatever you want. Lots of versatility with the Tacticam. Other products include, but are not limited to, the fisheye camera. The Tacticam Spotter LR is definitely worth a look if you want to film what you're seeing through your glass while you're actively hunting and get it on camera. It's a great thing. But I think that the thing that I'm most excited about with Tacticam this year is the new Reveal uh, cell cam that is coming out. This kind of this trail camera <clears throat> will send you images in real time as they're coming in. They've got like an enhanced antenna for better service. If you're like managing property or something like that, or you've got a bear bait set up somewhere that you have phone service, you can get those pictures right there to your phone. This uh, cell cam is super, super cool. I'm really excited about it. And you can get all this at the westernhuntsman.com forward slash gear. Go to the gear shop. You'll find all the Tacticam stuff right there. Uh, best pricing out there on it. And uh, what happens is we split the uh, profitable revenue from these sales of the Tacticam gear. And half of it goes to conservation efforts, uh, which vary depending on what quarter of the year it is. Right now we're raising money and trying to get some money over to Sportsman's Alliance. It's a great cause. And that is what's going to go down when you shop for Tacticam gear at thewesternhuntsman.com. So go over there and check it out and get you a camera. Guys, let's get back into it. I sure appreciate it. I would love to come to one of these seminars or... 
have you come out and and uh, come out to North Idaho and do one out here? Because yeah. I, I know we'd we'd have some takers for sure. But um, <laughs> and and we were talking before uh, I hit record. And, you know, for anybody that's that's got any history listening to this podcast, I'm not going to go through the whole story for the 20th time. Uh, but last year I, I put an arrow through a bull uh, that that was just a textbook call in. Everything yeah. just seemed perfect. But something mm-hmm. happened, man, when when that it was a complete pass through and I never found this bull. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I don't ever want to do that again. And I feel like I, I either choked my shot or uh, which is the most likely thing. And, and like you said, punch the trigger. And I, I never want to do that again. Is there a way for you to analyze that and explain the, the you know, like basically it, not, not choking the shot, uh, punching the trigger, sorry. Yeah. Um, over a podcast where, yeah. where we don't have anything visual, you know? Sure. So, <clears throat> Answer me this: In your shooting, like if you were to go out and shoot your bow in your backyard right now, mm-hmm. do you work on perfect trigger movement or do you shoot arrows? I I would say, in full disclosure, that I probably just shoot arrows. I I don't focus that's, on my my trigger control with with a bow. That's ninety. That's ninety nine or ninety five plus percent of archers. They shoot arrows to get better at shooting, mm-hmm. and that's not the true skill. The true skill is in finding your determination. The true skill is then taking that determination and making a decision to shoot this one shot with perfect trigger movement, no matter what. And you know what that perfect trigger movement is, but you have trouble attaining it at this point because you don't know the science, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. yep. What those those decisions do for us, when we make those decisions at specific moments in the shot, it increases our presence. Like when was the last time that you aimed, you put your pin on the target, and then you put your finger on the trigger, and then you said, here I go. I've never done it like that. You've never done that, so you've never been present enough to concentrate. Right. Mm-hmm. What I just listed are the four fundamentals of precision shooting. Determination leads to decisions. Your decisions lead to presence, and your presence leads to concentration. Okay, I want to I want to break that down, and I and I want to I want to put it in the context of uh, Joel. Like when when well, let me put it to you this way. Uh, I I do both. I I hunt with rifles. I mm-hmm. hunt with bows. Mm-hmm. I've been bow hunting. Um, gosh, I'm getting old, man. I'm going mm-hmm. on like 15 plus years bow hunting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always considered myself a pretty decent archer. I've never mm-hmm. been like, you know, competition winning kind of archer. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I've always been pretty proficient. Now, with with a rifle, when you're talking about what you were just saying with with trigger control mm-hmm. and having this process behind the rifle, I feel mm-hmm. like I, I have that. And that that comes yeah. out of my training uh, yeah. from, from the military. I I focus on that trigger control and I make it so that the shot is almost um, a surprise because the, the, the pressure that I'm applying and, and I rarely, rarely miss with my rifle. Right. My, but you never, uh, but you never blueprinted it. I never right? did blueprint. No, no. Most and, people do it with a rifle because they understand that if they do punch the trigger, they're never going to hit that bucket 450 yards. 
And I right. think that it's a, it's more mechanical on a rifle. If, if that makes sense, like they're, I, I, when you say I've never blueprinted it, I've never defined it like that, but I, mm-hmm. it's, it's very mechanical. It's a very mechanical process. I know how to, how to line up the rifle and, mm-hmm. and apply the right pressure and, and blah, blah, blah. I can go through it, the steps, but w- the, the point I'm trying to make is how do I translate that to, to bow hunting? And I want to, I want to walk through the four steps that you were talking about, because I feel like I have a lot of room for improvement. And I know a lot of people listening, um, they've never heard this kind of stuff before and they have a lot of room for improvement as well. Sure. So the reason it's so much easier with a rifle and you found that you could get into a process easier with a rifle is because your body is not in tension, right? When you're, when you're laying behind a rifle, your body is not in tension. When you are at full draw with a bow, your body, your whole body is in tension, your core, your shoulders, your arms, your hands, Everything is in tension and your mind wants to get rid of that tension and it wants to know exactly when it's going to happen. Now, if you take a rifle, it wants to know when the recoil is going to happen, therefore the flinch. But if sure. you were to like, let's say you take somebody and you hand them a, you hand them an ot six, right? Okay. So it's going to have some recoil to it. And this person uh, has shot a little bit to the point where they know at least that it's going to go bingo and it's going to recoil and all that stuff. So you hand them that rifle, but you don't take the safety off, right? And it's okay, it's mm-hmm. good to go. And you watch the body just completely contract and flinch and all that stuff, and and yep. they'll be embarrassed, right? And they're like, oh god, you know, I want to do that again. And <laughs> and then instantly you take the safety off, and the next shot when they actually shoot this, they're a thousand times more conscious about what they're doing. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So much easier to get into this process with a rifle. That's so true. I've never heard anybody like actually describe it like that. Yeah. Super, super when accurate. You, when you take it to a bow, you know, you, you have mediocre success. When you draw a bow back and punch the, you put the pin on, you punch the trigger, you have mediocre success. Right. I mean, and most people stay there. They plateau within the first month of shooting and they never get better for the rest of their life. In fact, mm-hmm. they actually get worse because the mind is always trying to push them toward efficiency, right? And it's yep. it's not efficient for you to have your pin on the target and not punch the trigger. You know, for you to actually have a pause in there where you're watching your pin and letting it float and then putting your finger on the trigger and then making a decision to do a movement that's slow enough you could stop it anywhere within it. Because your rifle trigger work, I guarantee if you're doing it right, which I imagine you are, you could stop. You are so keenly concentrated on your trigger press that you could stop it anywhere within it. Yep. Right? That's a no-brainer. That that means you're working what's called a closed-loop control system. Slow enough you could stop it. But if you were if you were dealing if you were in a gunfight at five yards, your trigger work wouldn't be slow, it would be fast. Right. It would be at a rate that you could not stop. And that's sure. exactly the same rate at which most people punch the trigger. So if you watch people punch a trigger on a bow, it is way too fast. The motor program that gets sent, it get the, the trigger motor program gets sent and all these other muscle contractions get sent along with it in the same neural pathway. So it's this trigger punch, grab the bow, close the eyes. It's all kinds of stuff that happens. 
mm-hmm. and we practice it. People practice their own failure. Every time they punch the trigger, they make themselves more and more and more efficient to the point where a lot of people don't even get their pin to the target before they punch the trigger. And it jumps the it jumps the pin to the target or drops the pin to the target and punches the trigger at the same time because it wants to know when the explosion is going to happen. And we practice it all the time instead of practicing the true skills, the fundamentals of precision shooting, determination, decisions, presence, and concentration. So, so you know, go ahead. Uh, can, can we break that down, uh, starting with, like, determination? What do you mean by determination? Well, there's got to be, at some point, you have to get pissed off enough, like what I did with these folks on Instagram the other day. At some point, you have to be pissed off enough to go, I'm not doing it like this anymore. I'm right? at that point. I'm, I am at that point. Yeah, and, and a lot of people are there, but you have to turn that determination, because that's determination, right? Mm-hmm. And I found it in 2008 at full draw on a hog. When I finally was, I had missed so many shots on this hunt, I drew my bow back with the same anxiety and the same knowledge I wasn't on target and I wasn't going to get through my clicker on my longbow. All, I mean, it was just a mental mess. And this is all happening at full draw at 20 yards on a hog. And I'm like, I am not doing this anymore. So I let the shot down. And that was my turning point. That was the point at which it meant more to me to stay in my shot process than to kill the hog. Hmm. And until you reach that point, you are in wonderland. You don't, you wonder how it's going to go. Like if you didn't have this conversation with me right now, you would go into elk season wondering whether or not you're going to control your shot. Yep. And if you wonder, you've already lost. You have to know, you have to have the knowledge of how you are going to control your shot. And the fact that you are going to control your shot no matter what. So that's the determination piece. And so people got to look back in their history of failure or maybe success. And what was it about that shot where you found your determination? Or what was it about that shot where you didn't have any determination? Right? And you didn't place any value on that arrow. So finding that is first. And it's not something that I can teach people. But it is something that I can help them find and look at it this way. Like when I'm uh, training my SWAT guys, they'll be, you know, they'll run 100 meters, shoot 100 meters, run 100 meters, shoot 100 meters. If they miss, they have to do 20 push-ups, right? And they have Mm -hmm. to start the whole sequence over again. So while they're down there pushing ground, their determination is building, right? Mm -hmm. Because if Mm -hmm. they don't succeed – if they don't actually concentrate on the trigger press, I have it set up to where there's no way they'll hit the target. Yeah. So it forces them into that, and the physical exertion forces the determination, right? Now, I can't make people at my clinics do a bunch of push-ups and stuff, so they have to find it, or they have Why to not? manage it. I right? would. <laughs> well, I mean, some people like good, some people like good, but, you know, <laughs> they got to find it, or they got to manufacture it on the spot. And so once they have that, then I teach them what decisions they need to make, right? 
Yep. And so we're going to roll into this decision making process. So we've mm-hmm. we've defined determination, and now we're yeah. going to decisions. What kind right. of decisions are are we making? You know, walk us through that now. So let's say that you've got a bull coming in. He's screaming, and here he comes, right? And and you're thinking, you know, your mind is in a place of where am I going to stop him? Is he going to come all the way in? Is he going to stop broadside? All this stuff. Your mind is racing, right? And your heart's beating. You got adrenaline. Things are happening, right? Mm-hmm. So as soon as the bull turns broadside, most people, and you know this moment that I'm talking about, you're like, oh, damn, this is actually going to happen. Yep. Right? Most people people will draw their bow at that point. If you draw your bow and you have not decided to shoot the shot with control already, then you are shooting from Wonderland. And you are shooting with autopilot and you don't remember what pin to put on it. You don't remember to look through your peep sight and you're going to punch the trigger. It's a nasty recipe, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, sure. but if when this bull's coming in and he turns broadside or you, when you go to draw your bow back before you draw your bow, you make a decision like I'm going to shoot this shot with control. No matter what, if you make that decision, then the door opens to your shot process. If you never make that decision, the door remains closed and you never even get into your shot process. Okay. okay. I, not, I don't want to, I, I hate cutting you off. Mm-hmm. I, let's talk about that just real quick. Mm-hmm. You are mentally saying to yourself prior to drawing your bow, or bow uh, mm-hmm. that I am going to shoot this bull. Is that? No, I'm going to shoot this shot with control. You are going to shoot this. No I am going to shoot this shot with control, no matter what. No matter what. And if you want to just shorten that up to no matter what, or whatever phrase you want to say, but you say it with determination, and that opens the door. And we'll talk about the shot control house in just a second. But it opens the door to your shot process, to your shot control house. Hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Most people find themselves at full draw instead of drawing their bow with knowledge and purpose. Most people find themselves at full draw and try to organize all this crap when they've already got their bow at full draw and their mind is on fire. It's racing. All this stuff's happening. You have to remember what pin, what yard, all this stuff, right? You have a way. Good. Yeah. You have a way of saying things that make me, totally reflect oh, and, yeah. and it's like oh man okay yep that's exactly what i was doing man because i yep. have found myself at full draw and i don't even remember drawing my bow mm-hmm. and and so that's super interesting dude yep that is you that is you finding yourself at full draw and then trying to organize stuff it doesn't work that way because you're not running in your conscious mind you are running in autopilot subconscious autopilot mm-hmm. so instead of you know before you draw your bow, say something like no matter what or whatever it is. To, and that when you make that decision, it increases your presence. That's what decisions do. Right. So now you draw your bow with knowledge and purpose. OK, your next job in your shot is to aim. Right. Put your pin where you want it and you will now be present enough to remember which pin for which yardage you just dealt with. Right. So mm-hmm. now you put your pin on the target and you have to understand that with visual proprioception, 
you have no control over your aim. You just put it in the middle and you literally watch it like a picture. Visual proprioception is your mind's feedback system and how it how it brings the pin always back to the center. People try to be steady and all this stuff. That's impossible. Just put the pin in the middle or split pin or whatever your sight picture needs to be and then watch it like a picture. Enjoy the show. Okay? Mm -hmm. So once you've got your pin on, then your finger goes on the trigger and you address the trigger. Maybe you got to put some initial pressure on it. Maybe you don't. Whatever, however trigger system you use, thumb buttons, hinges, index finger, tension activated, doesn't matter. You address the trigger at that point. You've already aimed. Now you address the trigger. So, and you can see how you need to get better at organizing this so it can be, so it can happen faster, right? Mm -hmm. So... We've got our aim, our finger goes on the trigger, and then it's time for the final decision. And what you're doing is you're deciding to do a movement that's going to cause an explosion, right? And you're deciding to do that movement slow enough you could stop it anywhere within it. And that is simply after the aim and after your finger's on the trigger, saying something to yourself like, here I go. Because think of it, think of it this way: you are standing on the edge of a cliff. You got your little toesies hanging over the edge. If you are thinking in the future, like I don't know if that water's deep enough, you will never jump. If that's what you're thinking, you will never jump. Mm -hmm. It is not until you make a conscious decision to override your central nervous system. Right? That's when you override your central nervous system with a, you know, you usually take a breath and then here I go. And then, and only then can you do a movement that hurls your body off of a cliff. It's the same thing in shooting a shot. So you've aimed your fingers on the trigger. Then it's here I go. And then you start your concentration on the trigger movement by talking yourself through it. Right. Mm hmm. I'm yep. And, and at, at that point, once. Well, never mind on that. How does how does a person practice this? You simply use your shot in a different way. You're not going out to the range and practicing your shooting. You're going out to the range and using a shot to practice the fundamentals. Right. You're using a shot to. Practice decision-making. You're using the shot to increase your presence. You're using the shot to practice your concentration, right? And then when you shoot that perfect shot, you blueprint it. So the blueprint, there's four questions of the blueprint. You know what you're, you have, question number one, what was I thinking? And you really need to know what you were thinking after, here I go. Mm-hmm. Because your thought has to be completely on the shot activation movement, right? Question yep. number two, what was I saying? What words was I saying to direct and trap my concentration into that shot activation movement? Like, was it after here I go, is it pull? Is it keep pulling, keep pulling, keep pulling? Is it a hum? Is it go? I don't care what it is. It just has to be smooth and rhythmic. At, at the point of pulling the trigger. How you speak is how you move. Mm 
Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Your conscious mind, you're using words to direct and trap concentration. Right? Okay. So question number three. So we've got question number one. What was I thinking after here I go? Question number two. What was I saying to direct and trap my concentration? Question number three. Could I have stopped it? Was I so keenly concentrated on my trigger movement that I could have stopped it anywhere within it? Mm-hmm. And if you can say yes to that, that means that you were determined enough to make a decision so that you were present so that you could concentrate. God, this right? is awesome. This is awesome. I'm very, excited, man. It's a very important question, right? And then yep. the final question is what decisions did I make to get myself in the process for this one shot? Did I step up to the line when that bull turned broadside? Did I say, no matter what? And then after I aimed and after I put my finger on the trigger and addressed the trigger, did I say, here I go, right? And so you Mm -hmm. map these decisions because at these specific moments in the shot, right before you draw the bow, you can even say something to yourself as you draw your bow to increase your presence even more for the aiming process, right? Like, I used to say, I'm going to do this right. As I drew my bow back, I said something to myself. I call it my half-draw moment, right? So, Mm -hmm. and then finally, after the aim, after the finger's on the trigger, here I go. And people say different things, but what you will find when, and you've interviewed a lot of people, the next time you interview a very successful bow hunter or rifle hunter, ask them this very specific question. What do you say to yourself during your shot? And every okay. one of them will have an answer. Okay. Every single person that's very successful in shooting in high stress events will have an answer. I've, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I obviously I like to throw in humor wherever I can, but I, I swear to God, every time I've made a shot, I what goes through my mind is don't miss, dummy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, um, well, what does that I, do to you, though? Think about that doesn't what that do that does. because I don't have any any actual focus as to you know the effect of what I'm saying to myself and and how that relates to my shot. It it, it has never done anything for me because I, oh, I haven't has. I haven't it put is, that together. Right? It has done it has done immense things for you because if you're in the middle of your shot and you say "Don't miss, dummy," mm-hmm. that created pause in your shot. That was a saying that made you more present. In but those do you shots. think That's- do you think that that adds like pressure to no. my my subconscious that I, I mean, should I would, add? I would say you know other things like here I go and all these you know more positive things. But no matter yeah. what, you know, you saying that in your shot. Imagine a brand new hunter; they don't say anything in their shot. Because they're trying to rely on their training, mm-hmm. you know, and the practice that they've done. But they've practiced their own failure every single time. So, of course, they're going to fail and go into autopilot and punch the trigger on that first buck that they see. As soon as the crosshairs get on hair, they punch the trigger and they shoot within what we call the critical second. It's the one second in time after the aim is complete. That's mm-hmm. the one second you need to get yourself through. That's why I use the phrase, here I go, because it takes at least one second to say, and it creates that pause for me, and it creates that presence, right? So you saying, don't miss, dummy, 
does exactly the same thing. It's something, right? We have yeah. to speak during our shot. And if I, you, when you understand the science of it, then you understand what to say, when to say it, and at what rate to say it. Okay, so um, I again, I love this. I want to, I want to go get my bow and just go start shooting right now and, and go through this, but. <laughs> Actually, I can't. It's over at uh, <laughs> it's over at Westwood Archery. I got to give them oh. a shout out for uh, getting all tuned up for the, this season. I'm really excited to go get it. But uh, the the point I what I want to talk about for just a minute, Joel, is when when we're getting back to uh, you had mentioned, you know, they're they're practicing the wrong way or or they're practicing their own failure, right? Mm-hmm. When whether we've got a, a hunter out there that's that's never been in the field with a bow or they're just starting out with a bow or there's somebody like me who's pretty seasoned and only marginally successful mm-hmm. um going up and and shooting whether in the backyard or at a range uh walking through this process in your mind like what what what's in my mind is I'm going to I'm going to go back and as I edit this and get it ready I'm going to write some of this down because I don't have paper on me and my stupid mm-hmm. extra screen for some reason is not pulling up yeah. Um, anyway, technical difficulties. Uh, I, I want to write some of the, like these steps down and I want right. to go through it super slow right? and, and go through each step that we're talking about and, and just kind of functionally and mechanically walk myself through your process and then get to a point where I can speed that up to as if I'm in a hunting scenario. Is that so, what you suggest? Well, the best thing you can do is probably just get my online course because <laughs> it's all in there. <laughs> oh, wait. I, I didn't know you had an online course. Yeah. Yeah. So I've put this whole thing together in an online course. It's at shotiq.com. It's called okay, Control I'm, Process I'm, Shooting. I'm going to pull this up if my internet will allow it without cutting us out. Shotiq.com? Yeah. Yep. So the online course, I explain the whole science of the mind and how it works and then how to apply it in a tangible way where we talk about all these things and the sequence of decisions and you know, all the, I go through every different release aid and how to apply the science to that particular release aid as far as the movement goes and how to evaluate a movement and all those things. So when you, if you come out of that, I mean, you come out of that, uh, that course, knowing exactly how you are going to control your shot for the rest of your life. It is life changing information sweet yeah i'm on it right now so you just sign up yep courses yeah and it's control Uh, process there's also a precision pistol course on there and where i teach people how to apply this to pistol shooting but oh um, sweet i'll get that for my wife man i just got her a new pistol and she's not super comfortable with it so yeah um, so it's i mean it is literally i mean i'm probably patting myself on the back here which is kind of an arrogant move i guess but it is literally life-changing stuff i mean mankind has been looking for this information since we started shooting a bow yeah 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 you know but when you nail it down as far as you know those people that were successful in, in history they did all these things but they couldn't explain it because they never researched the right stuff Right. Crazy. And it, was, and it was through my law enforcement firearms instructor experiences that I was able to connect my experience, whether that be a failure or a success, to the science of what's really happening. And when you mend those two, when you mesh those two together, 
then you get this tangible system. It's not butterflies and rainbows and all kinds of stuff. I mean, it is, it is literally the conscious defiance of human nature. Yeah. And teaching you how to consciously override your central nervous system. And, and it's, it's really cool stuff, man. Yeah, it's way cool. It's critical, too. It's, it's cool yeah. and it's critical. So, um, so if yeah, you, I'm, on your, I'm excited. On your, on your bull that you shot at, if you're wondering what happened, I mm-hmm. guarantee you you punched the trigger on that. I had and, to have, man. And, 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 so and this you, is what I've been telling. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, if you punch the trigger on it, there's no way the arrow can go where the pin was because there was pre-ignition movements that moved the pin that you didn't even see. And he was standing like a statue. I mean, he right. didn't, he wasn't moving. And, and my, my trouble with it is when I go back and I replay it in my mind, it's like, I can't think of what I did that I would change. Were I in that same situation again? Does that make sense? And yeah. so that's, I think what bothers me. Like I've, I've made shots in the past where it's like, Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I did this. I did that. Mm-hmm. Um, totally screwed up. In this mm-hmm. case, I, I think that why I've lost so much sleep over this bowl is a he was he was pretty big, and uh, mm-hmm. b um, it, I, I I'm bothered by how that bull didn't die within 50 yards. I, mm-hmm. I'm just I don't know what happened. He he was but totally you don't broadside. Where, you don't know where you hit him though, right? No, I, I don't. I don't know. My I had a camera on my shoulder filming, uh, but I didn't hit record. Answer so. me this: Were you shooting a small two blade head? No. Okay. Nope. Uh, in, you shoot a three blade or what? Three. Yeah, it was a three blade. It was hmm. the the, 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 the Mon, Montec. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was a great setup, I thought. But uh, anyway, this year I've got a whole new setup, and and uh, mm-hmm. I've just it's just time to uh, get to a point where I, I never have that happen again. And and I. You know, I, I had somebody tell me, they're like, oh, you shouldn't say that on your podcast, man. And, and it's like, you know what? I, I don't care because I, I, I'm i pretty open with the audience. Yes, mm-hmm. I hit a bull. I wounded it. I missed it. And I never recovered it. No idea mm-hmm. what happened. I tracked him for four days. Sure. Um, and so anyway, or not tracked him for four days, but I grid searched for four days trying to right. figure out, you know, what happened. But mm-hmm. anyways enough of me whining about that. I just, the point is, is I never want that to happen again. And, and I feel like, you know, coming, coming, I'm, I'm glad Dirk always has like the best recommendations. He's like, you should talk uh-huh. to this guy. You should talk to that guy. Yep. And he's never wrong, man. So I got to give yeah. him a, some props. A good dude. Dirk's a good <laughs> dude. I, I finally got to, I mean, I've competed with Dirk in years past, but uh, we never really talked. He was always really quiet at the, which seems weird now. <laughs> but I know, right? He, he was really quiet at the at the elk calling championships, and and uh, so, but now you know when we do elk shape camps and stuff together, it's really interesting because I had never heard Dirk speak about elk calling, mm-hmm. and um, he'd never heard me speak about elk calling, and when you get to good callers together. It's funny how it's all the same stuff, right? We just have different ways of explaining it. But when it really comes down to it, you're getting in tight on those cows and you're doing a short raspy bugle with no chuckles. Yeah. It's really how it's really what it comes down to. It's, it's, uh, it's very interesting how the, how it all comes together and just people explain it in different ways. And I had to, you know, go to a bunch of bar fights to figure it out. 
(laughs) (laughs) And that's what I love about it, man. There's the, the different perspectives and, and perceptions of, of how people come to the same conclusions is always of interest to me. And Mm -hmm. and I just, I, I love it. I love learning the, the behavioral side of, of elk and, um, mm-hmm. like you, I've been in scenarios in my life where I'm able to relate this human humanistic aspect of, of mm-hmm. animal behavior in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and especially like when I had horses, that that's a whole other perspective, horses yeah. and how you can relate that to how humans behave versus uh-huh. how animals, I feel like horses are like this liaison between the two in a lot of ways. <laughs> um, and, and you learn a lot, uh, you, you okay. just learn a lot about this stuff. And so. Um, this episode, we've, we've basically, we've got this really good strategy where you are locating an elk and you are using a, almost a calf cow or a calf call, right? Yep. Yeah. I don't do any mature cow sounds. I keep it on the, I keep all my female elk sounds on the calf spectrum and that elicits responses from both sexes. Right. And then that, yep, yep. Either you're either the cows are going to mew to you or the bull's going to bugle to you, but they they don't do nothing, right? There's no, there's always some type of reaction. There's always some type of movement when you are, are calf calling. So, like if you don't know whether a bull's got cows or not, and you go down to relocate him, and you do calf sounds, and he bugles to call you in, and then he bugles again, but has moved closer to you. He doesn't have cows. So now you just set it up for the hang-up spots, right? So I always set the calling location first, establish where the hang-up spots are, and I either send my shooter past the hang-up spots or I move past the hang-up. I do my calling and then I'll move past the hang-up spots, right? But that's for Mm -hmm. a bull that doesn't have cows or left his cows. But if he bugles from the same spot twice, he's got cows. So just slide in on on the cows. Hit him with the bull calling cows bugle. No cow calling or any of that crap when you get in close to cows because they will take their bull away. Mm-hmm. Cows hate other cows. So don't get tight. I watch it year after year. People get in tight on these herds and cow call thinking they're going to pull this bull out. The cows won't let him go over there. So exactly. They just get all suspicious and they round it all up and they move and the bull's just following them. And people think, oh, the bull's pushing his cows out. He's not pushing those cows anywhere. The cows are leading him out. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the deal. And, uh, you know, so some sounds that you need to know how to make. Location bugles, high frequency ringing tone. Calf sounds, right? Just basic calf mews. Tending bugles and glunking. Right, and you can do the glunking on the tube if you want. Tending bugles are just simply moaning over the call, and that I use for midday locating. Right, like if I don't know where there's any elk, I'll do a breeding scene. I'll start with calf sounds, then I'll introduce a bull with tending bugles and some glunking. And if there is a bull that can hear that, he will bugle. So that's my midday locating strategy. And then you need to know how to do the bull calling cows bugle. Short, raspy, no chuckles. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be high quality. It just has to have no chuckles. That's the key. You talk to lots of folks that are successful in calling herd bulls in. They're like, oh, I just use a spike bugle. Oh, well, what's your spike bugle sound like? And they do it. And it's got no chuckles at the end of it. I'm like, thank you very much. That's a bull calling cows bugle. (laughs) 
right? So, <laughs> See, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to get used to that, man. I'm a chuckling fool out there, right? And I never chuckle in the woods. There's, you know, you talk to Dirk and Jason Phelps and other folks, and they they will chuckle, mm-hmm. and but I I never chuckle in the woods because I'm never talking to a bull. The bull is never the subject of my calling. I'm either talking to his cows or I'm talking to my cows. I'm never talking to him. I love it. And that's what changes that instinct. And it just, man, I, I call in quite a few bulls. <laughs> that's a, that's a, and that's a great strategy. It's not very different than what I generally do. Difference right. being is I'm not as lethal with a bow apparently. So um, <laughs> I, I just need to, and that's, that's what, uh, that's what every year I have like a very keyed in focus as to mm-hmm. one aspect of my hunting that I'm going to improve. And this year mm-hmm. is specifically my archery shooting skills. So mm-hmm. um, I love that strategy. Um, I'm going to, Phelps has this new, I think they call it like the young and calf call yeah, or the something young, like that. I, I just, I just got one. Uh, Did you try it? Yeah, it's very good. I'm not a huge open read call fan. Me neither. But this has got this has got the right tones. It's it's simple, easy to use. It's good stuff, and it's really, you know, you have to anytime you're doing calf sounds, that emotion that you talked about earlier is a big deal, right? Yeah. And it's yeah, yeah, yeah. calves don't you right? Elk don't do that. People want to use their lips all the time. It's not you. It's it goes up, right? Yep. And that's, that's the sound, but it's higher pitched, stay on that calf spectrum. And then you're never doing a call that drives elk away. When you're doing a location bugle, right? That doesn't drive elk away. That gets them to respond. When you're Mm -hmm. doing tending bugles and glunking, that doesn't drive anything away because you're talking to your own cows or talking to your own calf, right? When you're doing calf sounds, that doesn't drive things away. It brings things in. And then the bull calling cows bugle, I mean, I've done it within 10 yards of cows and they will barely lift their head. They don't give a damn about it. Yeah, But me that too. bull cares the world about it. Mm-hmm. So don't do sounds out there that are only dealing with attitude. Deal with instinct and you'll have much more success in your calling. Every time I record a School of September episode, I'm always like just pumped by the, by the end of it. I'm like, okay. I'm ready. I'm going to kill a bull. I'm going to kill like 10 bulls this year <laughs> if I had that many tags. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's, so, no, there's no reason people shouldn't be killing bulls every year. And, and and you hit on two very important things that I always like to get out of these episodes. We we talked about a really good sound strategy that works very well for you, whether it's Rockies or Roosevelt's or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we moved into this shot IQ information, which I am going to, I'm going to really kind of break that down to a little bit more detailed level here on my mm-hmm. own. Cause you've got this course, right. um, and, uh, that is pretty fantastic. So, um, I, I feel like, uh, I, uh, we can keep this going for another hour or two, man. <laughs> yeah, we could, <laughs> we totally could. Would you come yeah. back on in the future? Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, we should we should do that, man. I, I I feel like we we just scratched the surface of uh, oh, yeah. a, a dude that has a, a wealth of information that a lot of people can benefit from hearing from. So, sure. um, I'd love to get you back on in the, in the future here. So that's that's yeah. awesome, man. I'm looking forward to kind of seeing. Oh, do you have any seminars that you want to talk about that you're you're doing like in person seminars this th- prior to September, or are they all booked yeah, up? Or I've got one. 
Well, there. I guess this one's sold out. It's uh, July 31st at Archer World in Vancouver, um, and then I I do them at my at my residence here in Eatonville quite often. So mm-hmm. it's just a matter of people getting a hold of me. Joel Turner at shotiq.com is my email, um, and if you you know email me, I I can give you my phone number and we can chat about it or or you know figure it out. If I travel somewhere. <clears throat> I like to have 20 students when I travel and, sure. um, but yeah, it's, I'd love to come to North Idaho and do one, man. It'd be awesome. Well, we're going to have to figure that out, man. I, cause I'd love to have you up here. I think, I think that would be really, really cool. I know you yeah. do a lot with, uh, with Dan over at, uh, mm-hmm. Ilk shape. Yeah. And he's, he's the one that introduced us, I, I think. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, he's, uh, he's not very, he's not super far from me. So, uh, no, that, no, that'd be perfect. Close, but, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now this has been great, man. I I appreciate yeah. you coming on. Um, I think uh, let's let's just keep in touch, and we'll we'll put something yeah. together in the future for sure. So yeah, yeah. Uh, if anybody can make it to those elk shape camps, you know, I'd, we do those. Or you know, Dan puts those on, and it's you know, you've got me and Dirk and Phelps, and you've got all these other incredible people. Mm-hmm. Each have their own skill sets that are just, I mean, you just cannot find this information. It's so, it's so different than when we started elk hunting, right? Oh man. And, and, and have, yeah. boat at 14. And, and if you go to one of these elk shape camps, it's just, I mean, life changing exponential learning curve straight through the roof. And you just go into the elk woods with so much more knowledge about what in the hell is really going on out there. And it covers everything. Yeah. Yeah. And it covers everything. Like you've got everything from shooting to calling, to fitness, to nutrition, to, you know, tactics and strategies and moon phases and blah, 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 blah. I mean, it's just so much information that, uh, and Dan does such a great job putting these things together. Um, you know, I, I, yeah, I total, I highly recommend. That's one of the first things I tell people if, if there, if there's an elk shape camp, yeah. uh, you're going to get a lot of different perspectives from a lot of successful hunters, and you will walk away uh, a, a much better hunter than you were when when you first showed up. So that yeah. is for sure, for sure. Yeah, good deal, man. Well, yeah, I appreciate bud. it. Looking forward to September, and uh, yep. let's keep in touch. Yep, you bet. Thanks for having me. made it all the way to the end thank you so much for tuning into the show we sure appreciate your support this is jim huntsman signing off and reminding you to check us out at instagram at the western huntsman and on facebook at the western huntsman and you can also check out the website at thewesternhuntsman.com thanks again we'll see you guys next time stay western and i'll see you on the mountain